Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that knows the solution to all problems worldwide is simple. It's Pure Rock Fury. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the captain. Yeah, Pure Rock Fury and a little hip-hop anonymous. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very excited to be featuring Double Nugget Nectar. This is an imperial amber ale made by the independently crafted and family-owned Trogues Brewing. This baby has got it all. Plenty of Simcoe hops, citrus, apricot, peach, and orchard fruit. ABV 9.5%. Garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. And let's give some thanks and praise to our good friends that helped us out with this week's beer run. First up... We have a big cheers to Stacy in Saugus, Massachusetts. Double Nugget was my nickname in high school. Captain Double Nugget Flugerton. And a big We Like Your Jib to Rebecca in Rootstown, Ohio. Next up, here's a cheers to Gary in Newington, Connecticut. And a big shout to Melissa W. in London, England. And we have a cheers to Denise in Green Mountain, North Carolina. And last but certainly not least, we have Laura in Kadahi, Wisconsin. Everyone we just mentioned went to TrueCrimeGarage.com and helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-E-E-R-U-N, beer run. Get you some. Go to TrueCrimeGarage.com. Hey, support the show. Get something in return. Make yourself look good. Make yourself smell good. Make yourself feel good. By picking up a True Crime Garage shirt today. And Colonel, that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
in early January of 1990. The Messenger Inquirer reported the following, with the headline at the top of page one, announcing victim of brutal murder discovered. The body of a man beaten and shot with hands, feet, and teeth removed was discovered Sunday morning, January 7, 1990, in South Davies County, Kentucky. The public affairs officer for Kentucky State Police says, quote, It's absolutely a case of foul play, and whoever did this attempted to obscure the identity of the body. They didn't want any fingerprints or any identification from dental records. It appears that was deliberate. One trooper with over 15 years' experience with the force described it as the most brutal murder he has seen. The Davies County coroner was at the scene, and judging from a preliminary inspection, said of the body, it appears the victim was shot at least twice and severely beaten on the chest and head with a blunt instrument. He said that there were no tattoos or identifying marks on the body. The unidentified victim was described as being white, 25 to 35 years old, 125 to 140 pounds, about 5 feet 7 inches tall, with collar-length brown hair. Kentucky State Police said a cadaver dog, trained to find bodies, will be brought in to search the area for the victim's body parts, but would not say whether anything besides the body was found at the scene. Police have no suspects, he said. Police were urging anyone who may have seen anything unusual or know of a missing person meeting the description of the victim to call the state police or the sheriff's department. They would be keeping all calls confidential, they said, adding that the description of the victim will be sent to law enforcement agencies across the country. There is a great quote that sums it up nicely by one of the officers in charge of the scene. When asked to comment on the murder, the body recovery scene and the situation as a whole, he simply said, it's bizarre. The Kentucky State Police said that they would be pursuing all of the possibilities and quote, it may just be a brutal murder or it could be a sophisticated type situation, but it is kind of an unusual situation. This is True Crime Garage. Well, Captain, we are once again in the great state of Kentucky, and here we are talking about another unidentified remains that were found in Kentucky. And I want to take it a step further than what we did in the trailer. So what you heard in the trailer there, everyone, is kind of pieces from the first article that ever came out about this case. And that would be from January of 1990. Now, the second newspaper article, and this is the same newspaper. I don't know if it's the same writer or not, but we have the same newspaper here. And just on day two, I want everybody to kind of hear how the information has changed already. Now, what is stated in the trailer is based off of what they would call a preliminary autopsy. And that's just simply that we have the coroner on scene where this body is found and located and kind of assessing the victim and the situation 
as he or she would see it on the crime scene and then speaking with the newspaper. This article comes out after they've had time to actually conduct a proper autopsy. So listen to how some of this information has changed or, or the variations of the information that we have in this case. This article is written by Steve Hunt, and it's from the next day saying, the headline says, slaying victim remains unidentified. It says, after an autopsy, a search by a cadaver dog and checks of numerous leads, authorities have not identified the mutilated body of a man found Sunday in eastern Davies County. The victim, a white male, this time we have him listed at 25 to 30 years old, and now they know that he has been shot six times, three times in the head and three times in the chest with a 22 caliber weapon. The victim also had been severely beaten with a blunt instrument and his skull was crushed. The autopsy did not determine what type of instrument was used in the blunt force trauma. The man's nude body with its hands and feet severed was discovered off of Pleasant Valley Road. Again, that's Davies County, Kentucky. Police initially reported that the victim's teeth had been removed, but the autopsy revealed that the majority of the teeth were still intact. Of the 2000 death investigations that this coroner has worked, he says, quote, this is the weirdest. The victim is described as being about five feet, seven inches tall, 120 to 140 pounds with collar length brown hair. I do want to note that I've seen on the Internet, Captain, that this collar length brown hair, even though it's reported this way in the first couple of days, I've seen reports on the Internet that state that it could be hair as long as eight inches so I don't know what the discrepancy is there, but it appears that this individual had quite curly hair, and that will become obvious when anybody looks up pictures of this still unidentified individual. Difficult thing about this case is the conflicting information online. Yes. But when they say this is the weirdest case, I mean, to me, it's brutal and maybe possibly leans to more than one attacker because how much damage was done to this individual. And I think that the the suspicions that you have and that I have really kind of echo what the officer was saying at the crime scene, at the body recovery scene that very first day where he says, look, this just might be another brutal murder or it could be something far more sophisticated. Right. We just don't know at this time because we've not been able to identify this victim. The article goes on to say, and this is the coroner's word, saying that the victim's hands had been cut off at the wrist and the feet cut off at the ankles, and they were unable to determine the instrument or what instrument was used to amputate the hands and feet. By amputating the hands, you're eliminating one of the identifiers, but by leaving the teeth, then you could get identification through dental records. Yes, and the article goes on to state that you know, the, the sheriff, the Davies County sheriff at the time, he's saying this autopsy was very helpful. It did answer some of the questions we have. We now know a little bit more about the circumstances, not only how the victim died, but what he may have been dealing with in terms of a perpetrator, or I'm sorry, what they may be dealing with in terms of a perpetrator. He declined to elaborate. The The sheriff did, of course. If this is sounding familiar to anybody we covered a case on episode 534. We titled that case, Man with No Hands. 
this case is possibly connected to that one. Yeah, and people are probably thinking, hey, this sounds familiar. That's exactly why, because it's a very similar case where the man with no hands still is just that. He's he's a man who has not been named yet. He's not been given his name back. They're roughly found around the same time in both in the state of Kentucky, and we'll get into those kind of similarities and differences here in a minute. They go on to say, the state police goes on to say in this article, that, that ca- the cadaver dog was brought in. They were hoping to find the head. I'm sorry. They were hoping to find the hands and feet somewhere at this scene. And even with the cadaver dog, nothing turned up. So somebody, somebody dumped this body there and were very aware and went out of their way to, to not leave these items behind. So let me just get this correctly. So we have multiple gunshots. We have blunt force trauma to the chest and head. And then we have severed hands and feet. Yeah. And so here's what I'm not clear on. And I was hoping to get some clarification on this and maybe we'll, we will at some point. It seems like the Kentucky State Police are pretty tight-lipped on this case, and and I get it, and I understand why. I don't think that either this case or the man with no hands are cold cases. I think that they have the potential to heat up very quickly, and a lot of that's based off of just science, right? Obviously, they have the DNA of the man with no hands, and they have the DNA of the Davies County John Doe. Right. What you're hoping, at least with that information— that at some point, if we identify our victim, that may lead us to, one, understanding the circumstances in how and why this individual was attacked or killed. It also may lead you to a suspect pool, a pool of people that would have been close to this individual. Maybe they have criminal, maybe there's a criminal element within inside that social circle. And so it could lead you to, to the suspect just by identifying the victim here. What's so interesting about that to me and why I think that that's a very likely situation here, Captain, is that look at what the lengths that the perpetrator or perpetrators went to to make sure that the person was not identified. Right. And so it could lead you right to the suspect's doorstep. Again, the the weird thing here is I'm unclear about the, the teeth. Right. So we two very different reports very quickly in this case where the day of they're saying, look, teeth were removed. The second day they're saying there were some teeth missing, but there were not none of them were extracted. Right. So what I'm wondering, if you look at where the blunt force trauma occurs on the victim here again, they say chest and head. But to me, the majority of it is on the face itself. Yeah. In the face. And if anybody was listening to our show last week, they know that that's important. But here, I wonder, Captain, if the the teeth missing, any of the teeth that are missing, if they're simply missing because of the blunt force trauma, yeah. that maybe somebody didn't go out of their way to extract them the way that some reports have said here. It's just happenstance that when you are applying that force and that da- doing that damage, bones are going to break. Bones will chip. Teeth will chip. Teeth will be knocked out. It's difficult in in both of these cases to think that there is a family out there that has a missing person in their family. Why hasn't this individual been identified? And so by us shining the light on it and being able to share this information and share the image of this victim that that maybe somebody will come forward and say, hey, I I knew that guy or or that's uh, a family member. 
Right. And the thing too, you know, they're going to do their work behind the scenes to process all the physical evidence that was found at the scene. This would be things like blood, hair, fiber samples, bullets taken from the body. And that last bullets taken from the body is an interesting line there too, because really looking at this crime scene and and where they find the victim I'm guessing that any physical evidence they have, they're going to have to pull it from the victim themselves. It it's, doesn't appear like this crime scene will have a wealth of physical evidence. It simply looks to me like somebody dumped this poor guy there, covered him up with some sticks, and he's he's in the thickets. I mean, he's in the woods, pretty much. And that I guess that's another interesting angle to this whole case when you look at it. And it's something that reminds me very much of the man with no hands, obviously, that we have a situation that it looks to me like it probably would have taken two individuals to place this person where he was ultimately found. And so while you may only have one actual murderer, you may have more people involved in disposing of this individual. Now, the man with no hands, you know, he's found in a barn. He's six foot five. Even even on the short end of it, they have him listed at six foot four. Right. I've seen him listed as tall as six foot six. But general consensus seems to be the man with no hands was six foot five, 230 pounds. And he's found inside a barn. Unless you had some tools or something to help you move that person, that's going to require two people to place him here. Now, our Davies County, John Doe, he is significantly smaller than the man with no hands. They have him listed at approximately five foot six to five foot seven inches tall, 125 to 140 pounds. So significantly smaller than the man with no hands. However, given the lay of the land and where the body was found, again, he's found in the thickets and the woods. It looks to me like a good chance that somebody may have had to carry him a decent distance from from the road. We don't have any tire tracks that if, if they do have them, they've not said this publicly, that they have any certain types of tire that they are looking for. What information we do have that is interesting to me is that the coroner stating that we believe that he was killed within a day or a couple days of being found. So he's not, the decomposition's not extreme here. If we were hoping to find tire tracks or if there ever were any, if anybody did drive off the road, You would think you would be finding them given the short period of time that elapsed between placing the body there and then when these two hunters are out in the woods and discover this pile of sticks with the man underneath of it. Right. But also if these cases were connected as the murderer, maybe you don't place this individual in a tobacco barn because you don't want them to be connected. Right. So let's take a look at that. The... Grant County John Doe. If you if you were to want to officially look up the man with no hands, he's referred to as the Grant County John Doe. We chose this other name and don't attack us for it because we didn't come up with it. It was actually reported one way at at some point that uh, a news outlet reported him to be the man with no hands, and that was a very interesting title. And why do you choose an interesting title? Well, this guy needs to be identified. And the more people that are interested in listening to the information and looking up the information, the better chance it is that he gets identified. Right. So that's why you roll with that. So let's compare the Grant County John Doe, the man with no hands, to this Davies County John Doe. 
the Davies County John Doe is found January 7th, 1990. And remember, it's believed that he was killed shortly before being placed there. We have our man with no hands is found April 9th, 1989. So less than a year apart. Now, they were found about approximately 185 to 190 miles apart. When they're asked about how bizarre this Davies County John Doe case and situation is, you can almost see it. You can almost see it if you're reading between the lines of their words where they're like, yeah, this is pretty unusual. This is very unusual. They won't go out of their way to say it's the only thing we've ever seen like this. No, because the officers at the same time, they're at this scene and they're going, oh, wait a second. Where have I heard of something like this before? Oh, it was in our state and it happened less than a year ago where the hands were removed of another victim. Yeah, you'd have to assume that law enforcement heard about the other case. You'd have to assume at some point that maybe even those law enforcement agencies reach out to other people in the state for some help to possibly identify the victim. Well, and in both cases here, Captain, we got the state police that are called in immediately. Right. So it's technically belongs to the same agency. You just have different posts that have these uh, jurisdiction or, or, or will be actively working a particular case. But let's let's refresh the memories of the beautiful listeners out there. So when we're talking about the man with no hands, again, that was an episode we did last year, November of 2021, episode number 534. The very basic general summary of the case, and this is by the VICAP alert that's on FBI.gov. You can find this on their website. It says, on Sunday, April 9th, 1989, the victim's remains were discovered in a tobacco barn in rural Grant County, Kentucky. It is estimated the victim was killed approximately two weeks prior. The victim was shot twice in the back of his head with a 22 caliber gun or sorry, 22 caliber weapon is the exact words they use here. His hands were cut off and he was stripped of all of his clothing. The victim had extensive dental work to include a 10 unit porcelain fixed a porcelain to metal bridge with missing teeth replaced with porcelain Pontix, I believe is how you say that for additional information and photographs regarding this victim refer to the national missing and unidentified persons system NamUs database case report number up86 because of the extensive dental work i can't believe that this individual has not been identified right that's that's always been a very troubling thing for me the first thought that you have in this situation when somebody like this has not been identified you start to wonder has he ever been reported missing has he ever been reported missing from anywhere i mean we went through our coverage of that case we went through persons that would match his height that were reported missing in the months and years leading up to it. And we couldn't find anybody that looked like him. We had some great listener feedback on this as well. And with this other case with the Davies County, John Doe, we hear the same thing repeated in the Grant County case in the man with no hands case, 22 caliber weapon. Weird, right? Well, I know that that's a pretty common caliber to, to use. And we, We often will cite that on many cases that we've covered here in the garage, but interesting that the body's disposed of in a very similar fashion 
And so much so that we're talking 30 years later, neither of these individuals have been identified still to this day. And in both cases, the same caliber of weapon is used. And the man with no hands case shot in the back of the head, that seems execution style to me with the Davies County John Doe. I mean, it does seem a little different, right? I mean, it's if we have the blunt force trauma along with six gunshots, so a little bit different in that situation, but we have the same caliber. The first thing I'm doing if I'm law enforcement is I'm doing a ballistic test to see if those bullets match the same gun as the first victim. Exactly. And the other thing that makes this really interesting here too, Captain, is unfortunately 30, 32 years later, neither of these individuals identified yet. But the work that Kentucky State Police have done on both of these cases, it, it they've done a lot of hard, good work on these cases. And that's why I think that either one of them could heat up like that. I mean, at a, at a moment's notice, they could heat up very quickly in both cases. Now, as far as the Davies County John Doe goes, we did have the officers pointing out very quickly early on. They're like, look, this is going to be particularly difficult to investigate because usually we law enforcement police, we have more leads to go on. We usually have something to use as a starting point. They're saying here, we don't know who the the victim is. We don't know how he got here. We don't believe him to be local. We believe that he was killed just days or a couple days prior to being placed here, but we have no victim name, no, no clothing, nothing to point us in any kind of direction at all. And one thing that makes this particularly difficult too, is we found this with the man with no hands at some point in their investigation, they've not released a whole lot to the public, but at some point in their investigation, they start kicking the tires on this idea that. Well, maybe this man was brought here. Maybe he was driven here from a great distance to be dumped here. We already know that they went to the extensive lengths of removing his hands. Well, maybe they didn't mind driving hundreds of miles, several states away to dispose of this person's body. Now, in the Davies County John Doe situation, they point out that the victim had a, quote, farmer's tan. Well, he's found in January in northern Kentucky. In fact, this is, um, I've never been to Davies County, but it it's directly below the uh, Indiana border, state line there. He's found in January in northern Kentucky and found within a day or so of having been killed, yet he has a farmer's tan. And so one thing that they did put out to the public fairly quickly in, in the Davies County case is based off of that information, we're, we're, we're looking for a breadcrumb here. We are looking for a breadcrumb here. We're going to throw this out to the public and say, because of this farmer's tan, there's a good chance he was brought here from someplace else. Yeah. Unless he's a complete weirdo and, and wears his t-shirt into the tanning bed. Exactly. Exactly. So that throws a whole nother wrench into this situation. And we do know that they were putting out the victim's description across the country. They were looking for anybody that would vaguely match the description of this man. This is also a tricky situation, I think, for law enforcement, because if you do identify his family, does this put his family 
either one of the victims does it that put their family in harm's way Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. 
Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back to the windows, to the walls. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. And make sure you subscribe to the show. That's right, because we release shows willy-nilly. Whenever we feel like it, you'll probably miss one if you're not subscribing. Yeah. <laughs> don't be left don't be left in the dark that's right well here captain we got this weird situation when we left off we were talking about how law enforcement were working under the hypothesis that the victim may be from outside of davies county that mm-hmm. may be driven there and placed there in this in this spot however they also go out of the way to say that they believe that the killer was probably local or had some kind of local ties based off of where and how they found the body, meaning that they believed that somebody knew that spot, that they didn't just drive and at random pull over and place this victim there. So that's a weird kind of angle to work off of, that the victim's not from that location, but the killer is probably local. Now, we have brought up DNA on this case, and we know that that's going to be what will ultimately break this case wide open this situation in 2007 they actually identified the davies county john doe as a scott michael morris so scott michael morris went missing from indianapolis as a teenager in 1978 let me let's just think about that for a second i i know we're throwing out a lot of numbers and a lot of locations and information so it gets a little cloudy sometimes Scott Michael Morris, who they identified to be that of the Davies County John Doe, case solved, went missing in 1978 from Indianapolis. Davies County John Doe is found in 1990 in Kentucky. 12 years, 11 and change after this teenager went missing. Mm-hmm. I have a couple different reports here. One report says 2009, the other report says 2010. 
but regardless, both have the same result. What they say here, Captain, is that further DNA testing, I don't know how they arrived at the idea that this person was Scott Michael Morris. Maybe some samples got screwed up. Maybe they were testing something else. I, I'm a little unclear of, of how they arrived at that conclusion. Yeah. But we need to give Kentucky State Police big ups on this because, I mean, one of my favorite quotes is, an error only becomes a mistake once you refuse to correct it. And here they made an error. They did not allow it to become a mistake because they did correct it and they announced it to the public. They're saying, look, whether it be 2009 or 2010, we mistakenly identified these remains. They do not belong. The body does not belong to that of Scott Michael Morse. Well, one of my favorite quotes is, um, Yes, I believe in ghosts, but more importantly, I think they should believe in themselves. Well, let's not leave the listeners hanging here because that Scott Michael Morris angle of the story is interesting in itself. So just Mm -hmm. a quick little... Bad choice of words when we're talking about a victim without hands. Just a quick little aside here, as far as Scott Morris's case goes, it says here on the Charlie Project website that Scott was last seen in his hometown of Indianapolis, Indiana, on August 14, 1978, he went to a convenience store down the street from his home and never returned. He was a frequent runaway at the time of his disappearance. Three days after Scott went missing, he called his family to say that he was working for a carnival in Pennsylvania. In 1989, he called a family friend and said that he was okay and still working for a carnival, but would not say where. The conversation was very brief, and Scott never got in touch with his loved ones again after that 1989 phone call to a family friend. Then we had the nude body found in Davies County, Kentucky, 1990, was misidentified as Scott in 2007. The victim had been beaten and shot to death. His hands and feet were cut off, and his teeth had been removed. Again, it sounds like only a portion of the teeth were removed, and this according to the Charlie project says in 2009 was when DNA analysis proved that the dead man wasn't Scott Moore. So weird angle to that, that story that he's misidentified, the body's misidentified, but then the Scott Morris case is interesting in itself because he's a known runaway. He called a couple times to let his family know that he was alive. In fact, he calls, the second call comes in 11 years after he goes missing. At that point, he's not a runaway. Right. He's never gotten in touch with his family again after 1989. And I've read several articles, Captain, that says that it's believed that he is is dead, that he's no longer with us. Right. And so I guess, I mean, that's certainly going to make sense. Hell, this unidentified body was identified to be him. But um, really, I kind of wonder where this this Scott Morse case goes. Now, if anybody would have any information on the Scott Morse case, you'll want to contact the Indianapolis Police Department for that one at 317-327-6915. But we do want to point out here, based off of all the information we have and that we've seen and received, it appears that Scott Morse wanted to be missing, he, or at least not with his family. Yeah, but how bizarre is it that we have a situation where we think possibly because of the distance, because of the time, because of the um, 
because of the way the bodies were found, the the torture that was to these victims, you could make a pretty intelligent argument that they're connected. And with the twenty two caliber, yeah, then one of the victims is identified, and then they go, "Oops, oopsie, not not the guy. Sorry." Right. It makes the case even even stranger. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, that I wanted to make sure that we included this portion in the show because of what if this Scott Morris guy is still alive and well, and he's fine, right? He's gone on and he's created a different life for himself, living away from his family. We don't know why he left, but obviously it, it, we have the... It's obvious that he did not want to be with his family for whatever reason. But at the same time, as the story goes, he reaches out at least on two occasions to go out of his way to let them know, hey, I'm fine. I'm, you know, nothing terrible has happened to me. I wonder if this Scott Morse guy is still out there, if they're wrong, that he's not dead. Has this information that he was, you know, identified as this, this body that was discovered in Kentucky if this information has just not reached his eyes or ears for some reason, because you have to wonder if he went out of his way twice to let family know, Hey, I'm alive and well, right. That if this information had reached him, you would think he would reach out one more time and say, Nope, that's not me. I'm not the guy that they found in Kentucky, but he's not done that. And maybe that's what they're basing off their statement of, well, we believe for whatever reason that Scott Morris is, is now deceased. Yeah, or strange that there's no follow-up coming from law enforcement. They're the ones that made the mistake. You think maybe at some point they go, oh, well, we you know we did further testing, and we actually think we're wrong. And on top of that, we actually know what happened to Scott. So I do want to make sure that we discuss the discrepancy in the general information in this case, just so that if this were to hit the right listeners' ears, that they don't go, oh, they're not talking about a case that I know about. So rather than, rather than we do not know what the exact information is, what the most correct information is, because we can only base it off of the very limited information that has been released by the Kentucky State Police. Now, we have it reported multiple ways from different sources, so we're just going to kind of give it all to you and you can sift through and find what you believe to or or what is in fact the case here but this individual is still unidentified it's been 32 years it's he's a male that was found in Owensboro Kentucky the age range is weird to me captain because i've seen it fluctuate quite a bit it seems to be it seems to be a very fluid situation with this man's age where he was listed at 20 to 30 years old then at some point he's listed 25 to 30, which is a nice tight window. I like a, I like a smaller window, so we're more specific here. But now as it sits 32 years later, the most common information you will find is that this individual is estimated to have been 25 to approximately 40 years of age at the time of his murder. He is Caucasian. And here again, you're going to see a wide swing in the potential height of this individual where they have him as short as five foot and as tall as five foot seven. And I know that the information that we read at the top of the hour was, was different five foot six or five foot seven. But as it sits today, 
Most of the information that you find out there will have him listed between five foot and five foot seven. Weight seems to be pretty spot on. They seem to be pretty convinced about the weight everywhere I've looked. It's all very similar, saying 125 to possibly 140 pounds. Right. Now, this particular website here has the postmortem interval listed at a little bit longer than what we've reported so far which they have it listed as 36 hours to possibly up to seven days that he was killed before being found. I'm going to go with, I really like what I was hearing from the coroner within that first week, right? That first week, the coroner's words always were, we believe he was, he was only there for a couple of days or had been killed a couple of days before he was found by the two rabbit hunters. Well, and I'm not trying to be silly here, but it'd be tough to, give a exact height because he is missing his, his right. feet. Right, right. And, and we don't know because I don't think the coroner, I don't think they released this information on where where did the uh, severing of the feet happen? Did it happen at the ankle? Did it happen a little bit higher? We're not really for sure. The, the early information was the ankles, but again, that's not something that's like repeated over and over again. So when you see that and you read that, you go, okay, well, I'll add that to my notes and hopefully I get confirmation of that later and you don't. You just don't get confirmation of it later. Right. Well, somebody knows something in either one of these cases. And again, I couldn't even fault an individual if you knew something and maybe you knew more of how and why they died, you might feel like you're going to put yourself in danger. Yeah, and while we're on the topic of misidentification, we should also point out that very early on in the case, and I'm sure that, I mean, the the police hate that this didn't work out because it appears that they had or received some good tip early on in the investigation. The way that it's reported is it says rumors but I think that they received a tip here, and maybe the tip was in a form of a rumor, but they're saying the rumor was that the body was that of a Whitesville, Kentucky man. They do not name the individual, but they did, you know, when we have a situation where they're not releasing a whole lot of information, they are quick to come out and say, we looked at that, and it's simply not true. It's absolutely not that person is what they state in the papers. So another case of where they may have, or at least on the public level, there were rumors of misidentification that this guy was possibly this missing Whitesville, Kentucky person. Of course, these, all these cases are sad. All these situations are very tragic that we discuss here in the garage. It's all loss of life and loss of a family member, a loved one, but this is a little, kind of extra weird angle that you don't get in other cases that we do have here in this case. And it's, well, I'll just, I'll read it for you. It's, it's nice and short, but uh, sad. Nonetheless, the headline here, captain is funeral held for nameless victim. And it says seven people paid their last respects to a man. They didn't know saying, quote, we memorialize one who we know not. This came from the chaplain that led the services for this unknown individual. It was a short ceremony that was attended by detectives and members of law enforcement, as well as members from the local sheriff's department. It was also attended by the coroner and representatives from the funeral home that, that agreed to host this service for this unknown victim. 
Yeah. And it's just kind of sad. You know, you see these, these people that, that went out of their way and had big hearts and heavy hearts and went to this service for an in- individual that they have never known may never know in their lifetime. It's been 32 years and he's not been identified, but kudos to those people that went and paid their respects to memorialize this, this victim, this victim of a very brutal murder, very violent murder. Yeah. I, I'll be lucky to have seven individuals show up at, at my funeral. I'm going to show up with one of those, uh, Michael Scott fake heads on my right shoulder. So that yeah, so two. will count as two. I'll sign the yeah. book as two different people. Well, maybe three people will show up. Well, should we get into some of the possible theories? Because there's been a lot of theories that have been discussed over the years in this Davies County case. And of course, a lot of these theories are going to mirror that of some of the theories that were discussed in the man with no hands episode. I'll read off the list to you and we kind of can go through them one at a time. There was a, a theory that it was a satanic ritual. And this is weird because this is, is rumored to have been reported that way by law enforcement. So I don't, I don't want to just throw that out there and everybody goes, well, we've heard that a bazillion times. This might be something different. It might be something a little more concrete, a hate crime, a revenge killing, a mob killing, a serial killer. And then I wrote down one of my own, which I know you will share in this idea too, probably here, two perpetrators, two or more perpetrators uh, as a theory. And I base that simply off of the difficulty of getting the body from however they transported it to the actual physical location where it was ultimately found. But let's circle back to the top of that list there, and we'll start off with the satanic ritual. That's very interesting to me, but I also want to throw this out there too. Look at the time frame. Look at the the time period that when this body was found and with the amputation, with the removal of the hands and feet, it's not uncommon for people to speculate that this could be something satanic, but also it's 1990, right? This is just shortly before West Memphis three. And remember what was going on in this country at that time where there was a lot of satanic panic. Yes. There was a lot of that going on that started, well, goes in the 80s and, and throughout a lot of the 90s, especially when you're talking about crimes that were to be committed by young adults or teenagers. I don't know that anybody's expecting or suspecting young adults or teenagers to be the perpetrator or perpetrators of this crime, but it's always been reported that that was an angle that police were working or it, that they had stated that at some point. Again, I'm just going to go back to the idea of the amputation mixed with the time frame. Mm-hmm. I could see a situation where the sheriff's department or somebody is saying that and then really wishing maybe a year or two or 10 years later that they had never said that because it was just a suspicion. There was no actual evidence of that, right? You would think that they would have found something at the scene to indicate satanic ritual, which maybe they did. I mean, they've been tight-lipped about this this case for 32 years. Yeah, could you real quickly remind me of the exact wording that he said, law enforcement said about this, this case is weird. Did they say weird or bizarre? Yeah, the one officer summed it up simply by saying it's bizarre. The other officer stated that, look, this could be just another brutal murder or it could be a part of something that's much more sophisticated. Yeah, so again, I find that, statement those terms i find that bizarre because to me it's like 
this is brutal. This is this is gruesome. This is violent. These are the terms that I would be using when somebody starts saying, well, this is bizarre or this is weird. It, it starts making you question what else was found at the scene or what other markings are on that victim's body that we don't know. So they one thing that we've not reported yet that is a very interesting angle in this case is that seminal fluid was found on the victim and it was it did not belong to the victim so the weird angle that that provides us is this weird situation of two things and this kind of goes to the hate crime theory so it's reported two different ways everywhere you go that it's suspected that this individual had some type of homosexual encounter just before being killed and then other places it's reported as that he was sexually assaulted and then killed which two there of course are two very very different things which also leans to the idea of a, a hate crime right so if he if he himself were homosexual then then people are going okay well maybe this was some type of hate crime but then you have the complete opposite of that that would say maybe he was raped or sexually assaulted before being killed so he didn't have a choice in the matter. Right. So it's all very bizarre where you think that, that that one element right there, if they are able to decipher, if they are able to figure out the very big difference between those two, if they have evidence strongly supporting one over the other, I think that the, that's stuff that should be released. That's stuff that should have been released 30-some years ago I mean, if they could determine it back then. Because we're talking about a completely different type of perpetrator in that regard. Well, this this is stuff of nightmares. I mean, yes. if, if you're not getting up and locking your door right now. You don't have a door. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason you you're no not door. doing that. And normally when somebody would bring up some kind of satanic ritual, I, I'm normally, eh, you, you're going to have to sell me pretty hard on that. Yeah. But, well, because we've been we've been duped by that before right maybe not us personally but at least the public has has been fooled by that dozens of times yeah fool me once shame on you fool me fool me never again um <laughs> is it possible that some wackadoos are out there uh, praying to some golden goat and uh and they decide that there's this ritual where we're going to take a victim and rape them and torture them and then dispose of the body. There's a lot of wackos out there. I mean, we got almost 600 episodes to prove that point. And the the thing with the sexual assault, with the, the rape, that also would lead me down another avenue of potential serial killer. Right. Because, and I only am throwing that out there. Especially because, at that time. Yes, and we're seeing where there's another victim that's disposed of in a very similar way and around the same time period, less than a year between the two. So the difficult thing here with these theories is that you don't have really a lot of information to point you in one direction. Specifically, you have a few different good ideas to work off of with these different theories, but nothing that will point you in a very specific direction. That kind of leaves us with the idea of two other possibilities here on our theories list, Captain. One being a revenge killing and the other being some type of mob killing. Yeah, maybe not mob, but some kind of organized crime. See, this is what happens when you don't pay your 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 debts off. 
for gambling or or whatever. Or you you did something to upset somebody in the mob that you did something against one of their family members maybe maybe this you know we don't know that the davies county john doe was a good person himself we've not identified him yet to figure out what this guy was up to before getting killed right and we always hear in these stories oh the colonel he was the nicest guy in the world nobody would ever want to hurt him lies i'm telling you lies the problem the problem here is we know in the davies county john doe case at least one individual wanted to hurt him at least one individual wanted to hurt him too. So, and we know there's at least one individual that wants to hurt you. There's a line, man. At least one. The with the mob thing, usually I'm quick to kind of look away from that. But when I'm when I'm comparing notes here on the Davies County John Doe and the man with no hands, I really feel like there might be a little something more to that, and and a little more weight that we should apply to that possible theory because. It wouldn't be terribly far to transport somebody to Kentucky from the greater Chicago area. And there's, you know, there's mob ties to every big city in this country. The other thing, too, I know that I think this was brought up when we discussed the man with no hands. There's people outside of Kentucky don't know a whole lot about this angle, but there was a a very vicious group that was active years ago, decades ago in that general area. And they went by, they were called the cornbread mafia, which sounds like a a funny name, but yeah, read up, read up on them and you won't be laughing very long. But one angle that I do want to point out here, this kind of reminds me, let's pretend here for a minute, captain, that these two cases are connected. Uh Okay. My guess here is if we went into the history of other states to find unidentified individuals, we might find cases that are somewhat similar to these two. Kind of where I'm going with this is it makes me think of Richard Kuklinski. And I'm not saying that Richard Kuklinski killed either of these individuals. What I'm saying simply is that watch the Iceman tapes. This is this is one of the documentaries that we discussed years ago. You know, every every year or every so often we pick our favorite true crime documentaries and create those lists. And I think it was the first time that we discussed this, Captain. One of the documentaries on my list was the Iceman tapes. And this the Iceman tapes is originally from 1992, I believe. Right. So, of course, he's locked up. I'm not saying that he had any involvement. But the thing that you picked up on with Richard Kuklinski was he's a guy that he's working in organized crime and he is the, he is the hitman. Well, why is he the hitman? Because this is the type of dude that if somebody wasn't paying him to kill people, he probably would be doing it for fun. Right. He's, he is the psychopath in that group, in that criminal element, in that group. He's the guy that they know go to him because he doesn't have a problem offing these people And then the other thing, too, is he talks about how he would dispose of these bodies and something very simple, right? Keep it simple, stupid. One thing that he pointed out there, he's like, look, I use this method to, I often use this method to kill an individual, but I also use this method over and over again to dispose of of the individuals. Well, why did you continue to use that, that method to dispose of the individuals? And he said, he looked at the the interviewer like they had two heads, like they're a moron. He says, he looks <laughs> like at him and goes, Michael Scott. because it worked. 
Yeah. It worked. When I did it and it worked the first time, when they had trouble identifying my victim or didn't find him for months or even years, I just went, okay, next time I off somebody, I'm going to use that same method because it works. One of the things that I think about in both of these cases, maybe they're severing the hands not to get rid of that identifier, but to make a statement. Because back in the day, if you stole something, they would cut your hands off or cut a hand off or chop your fingers off. So maybe that act of this crime is actually more to send a message to people. Yeah, it's very interesting to me. And I think you might be on to something there, Captain, because we have other identifiers that were not. They didn't go to other measures to keep this person unidentified, right? With the man with no hands, he's got extensive dental work. Expensive, extensive dental work. Say that three times fast. I will try. Somebody could have taken that stuff, removed those items to make it so he couldn't be identified, removed the head. If you you were really dead set on, on making these individuals not identified at all, There are other extremes that you could go to, but whoever killed and then disposed of these individuals didn't go to those other lengths for whatever reason. They didn't take those other precautions, if you will, but they did remove the hands in both situations. And the other thing too, like I got to thinking about like, well, they went out of their way to remove the feet of the Davies County John Doe, but I don't ever remember a case of an individual being identified by their feet right right i mean you're leaving his dna because obviously his whole body the rest of his body is there the feet thing really makes me wonder what was up with the feet why go out of your way to remove the feet well if we go back to the original idea that a lot of these steps were taken to prevent the identification of this victim well could the foot for whatever reason one or both of the feet have some kind of identifier Maybe this individual didn't have normal looking feet. Maybe there was a tattoo on one of the feet. Maybe, you know, you, you use your imagination and you can start to see a situation where that might become important, but it doesn't appear to have been important in the man with no hands case that took place in 1989. If you're a betting man and I, I know you like to bet every now and then uh, on the horse. <laughs> I like when people say that. Uh, if you're a betting, well, I, I have you happen to be talking to a betting man, yeah. so so I am a betting man. But we won't say it's a a problem. It's only a problem when you lose. <laughs> if you're a betting man, would you say that these again two weeks in a row? It, it's funny how this stuff works. Last week we we're talking about the Boardman murder cases, and if those were connected. Uh, similar time periods, similar area, similar victimology. Here, the victimology seems different, but do you lean towards them being connected or or not connected? I actually lean towards them being connected. And usually, and I didn't go into it that way, right? I didn't go into looking for reasons to connect these. And I'm going to say straight up, too, that I didn't find anything that, that says to me 100% that they are, in fact, connected. But it just seems a little convenient, a little too convenient to me that, yeah, the victimology is weird. 
with the Davies County John Doe, we have so little information and again, reported different ways that I don't believe that that allows us to really hone in on one particular thing here to say that I think the victimology is similar or dissimilar because with the man with no hands, according to the VICAP alert from the FBI, his approximate age is 25. Well, that certainly fits within the age range of our Davies County, John Doe, where we're seeing the current information has him listed at age 25 to approximately 40. I have a difficult time with why that, that range is so that there's so, so many years applied to how old this guy could possibly be. They're both found nude. They're both found with no hands. They're both found within a year of one another in the same state of Kentucky. And it, for me, there's just too many similarities for me to, to get past it. Right. If again, yeah. you're, you're asking me to wager on something we don't have a lot of information on. I guess if I had to go gut feeling here, I'm guessing that they would be, I would lean toward them being connected in some form. And it doesn't have to be committed by the same perpetrator, especially if we're talking about, uh, um, some type of mob hit or some type of criminal group. You know, I, I had really suspected a, a drug connection with the man with no hands. And then with the Davies County John Doe, I just feel like I don't know enough about who this person could have been to even hypothesize what led to this. Yeah, if I had to go with my gut feeling, um, gut and butt feeling, I would say connected. It's it's eight months between the discovery of two of these bodies. Mm -hmm. And I know, yes, it's 140 miles away, so it's a big distance there, but eight eight months is tough to shake. I want to lean so much of a mob hit, but to me, kind of seems serial killer in the sense of, well, I put one victim here, and then I, and then I dump another victim somewhere else. And I think if we dove in deeper to that area, probably let's say a 300 mile radius to see if there's any other similar cases, those in individuals might've already been identified, but to see if there's anything similar, um, severing of the hands or severing of the feet or the way in w which the bodies were dumped. With the man with no hands case, I know that a lot of the listeners got on the blog and stated on there that that one hypothesis they would have is that maybe he was an undocumented worker someone that we just don't have right information of and that's why he remains so difficult to identify to this day his ethnic background would have been based off of i think this was parabon that came out with the man with no hands but some agency has stated that he's probably Eastern European, maybe Middle Eastern descent for the man with no hands. I've not seen any of that speculation or, or information in the Davies County, John Doe, but where I can offer a little bit of a little little light at the end of the tunnel for both of these cases is we know one thing with the man with no hands. Obviously, they have his DNA. They're working that they're trying to figure out if they can identify him using the DNA. I seen that last year 
It was reported that the DNA Doe Network was actively working on the man with no hands case. It was one of, I think, five or six that they were discussing on the news at the time. And he was one that they were actively looking into. The basic report that they offered at that time was that we are getting closer to identifying him. We have not been able to get a match to an individual. And unfortunately, in his case, we've not been able to get a match that's close to an individual, meaning they've not matched up with a parent or a sibling. They said that they're they're basically at the the speed bump of we can get we feel like we're getting to distant cousin level with the man with no hands, but nothing close enough that we have any idea of of possibly identifying him or narrowing it down to a few individuals. Now, with the Davies County John Doe with our case for this week, the light at the end of the tunnel with him is twofold. You have not just your victim DNA like we have in the man with no hands case. Right. We have potential suspect DNA. And again, that's why part of me wants to go, can we clear this up? If we do know, maybe they don't know. And maybe that's why you don't want to release this information. If you don't know, it'd be irresponsible. But if they do know, if they had some way of determining this sexual assault versus consensual, well, if it, especially if it's sexual assault, then that changes everything for me. Because now that goes from a possible uh, you know, friendship or romance with this other DNA that they have with the Davies County, or it's suspect DNA. And so that's the light at the end of the tunnel in the Davies case that one, we could identify this individual. Possibly, we have the science to do it. We're working on it. We know that they're actively working it because they misidentified him and, and then cleared it up. So we know that it, it's been active at time periods throughout the last 32 years. It's a case that's still on the minds of Kentucky State Police. They're probably still doing work on it. And so we could have a situation very soon where either they identify one the victim himself or the suspect in his case. And either way is a huge leap when they were, when they were scratching the ground, looking for breadcrumbs before identifying this individual or the DNA that could lead to the suspect, huge leap, huge break in the case either way. There is a tip line, a tip phone number for the Kentucky State Police. If anybody has any information in the Davies County John Doe case or the Grant County John Doe case, the one that we were referring to as the man with no hands, you can use this number for either of those cases. And again, this will take you to the Kentucky State Police. The number is 1-800-222-5555. want to thank you so much for joining us here in the garage. We just like your smell. We like your musk. Make sure you tell a friend we want their musk to be in the garage as well. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful people this week? 
this week, and this is very fitting to this week's case as well. We are recommending a book called The Lost Family, How DNA Testing is Upending Who We Are. Author Libby Copeland does a deep dive into the subject and a deeply reported look at the rise of home genetic testing, as well as looking into genealogy buffs, the science of DNA, and the business of companies like Ancestry and 23andMe. Make sure you check out The Lost Family by Libby Copeland. You can find that wonderful title and many more on our website, truecrimegarage.com. Another thing you can find at the website is a link to Off the Record. That's our bonus show. We do case updates. We get a little silly up here in the garage. It's a great time. Please join us. It's $5 a month. You get every show on Stitcher Premium, which is tons of content for $5 a month. You can find that at truecrimegarage.com. Until next week. Be good, be kind, and don't litter. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.